Good morning. My name is Pastor Eric, and it's my uh, privilege to lead you in the next number of uh, sections of our worship. The first one being waiting for the uh, kids and leaders to uh, escape this space and go into uh, kids' ministry. Allow me to lead you in our uh, community prayer. Lord Jesus, as we gather in this space, we walked through the outdoors and had a taste of spring, even though we recognize there's more cold ahead. Lord Jesus, as we begin this Lenten season, we're anticipating Easter, but we know there's six more weeks of spiritual disciplines, of waiting, of confession, of being on our knees. Lord Jesus, as we experience the opening up of our world where it seems like as restrictions are released and more and more people seem to be healthy and free that we can move forward, we also recognize that there's relationships that need restoring and healing. Confession and forgiveness needs to take place and reconciliation needs to grow among us. Lord Jesus, as we celebrate some good open listening circles, or challenging conversations about the human sexuality report of our denomination, we also realize that there's some tough realities in people's lives to be faced, there's decisions to be made, and there's some challenges on that road ahead of us yet. And Lord, as we recognize and celebrate that in a little over a week, our new Tui family will be coming and joining us, we also mourn as we recognize that the Ukraine has been invaded and that many, many, many more refugees are being produced by that tragedy, by that challenge, by that war. We recognize, Lord Jesus, that as we enter into the efforts of participating in spiritual disciplines in this time, that we also are called to rest in you and allow you to speak and allow you to guide us. Lord Jesus, today as we grieve the loss of Bill Bennett, as we as the community yesterday were able to gather and say goodbye and celebrate his life, we recognize again that connection between celebrating a life and grieving a loss, between feeling our pain and holding on to the hope that was um, the hope of celebration that comes with seeing the evidence of your grace in his life. Jesus, as we gather, we're aware that Folks like Amy and Henny are in the hospital, and we pray for them to be able to come home. But we also recognize that there's so many beautiful and powerful things going on in many of our lives. Or there's a whole variety of struggles, but there's also a whole variety of celebrations that are part of who we are. And so today, Lord Jesus, we recognize that you meet us just where we are and just as we are, and that we can bring ourselves both the beautiful and good, as well as the messy and challenging, and present ourselves openly and honestly with humility and integrity before you. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray, come and shape us and guide us. Jesus, we thank you for the many ways that we are able to um, serve, to celebrate, to share, to be generous with our time, with our money, with our energy, with our, our smiles and encouragement, our, our words. So we thank you for the Heidberts who share again a celebration of your faithfulness. And we also pray for the ongoing work of families that uh, 
befriended them and they befriended um, in South Africa. And Lord, we recognize with celebration the opportunity that we have to welcome and give hospitality to Gail Gorf, and we pray, Lord, that we as a community may step out and practice that beautiful discipline of hospitality with her and get to know her and support her at this time. We thank you for what took place last weekend with the coldest night of the year and the fundraising that was able to be done there. And we look forward to the chance of sharing today our offerings, not only for this ministry here, but for the work of Bible League Canada. Lord, may your word continue to transform lives. And so we pray that as we continue our worship, as we hear your word read and preached, that you would continue to reshape the way that we live, that you transform our lives. All these things we pray in your holy name. Amen. So our scripture reading today is from the book of Lamentations. And um, there's few Bibles right in front of you. So they were just put back in again. And in those Bibles, I believe it's page 1,279, because I realize Lamentations probably isn't the most popular book in the Bible, so you might not know where it is. So it's page 1279 in the Bible in front of you. And I'm going to read some from the middle of that. Lamentations 3, I'm going to start at verse 19. And I'll read through 33. Hear God's word. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to those who seek him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for people to bear the yoke while they are young. Let them sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on them. Let them bury their faces in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let them offer their cheeks to the one who would strike them, and let them be filled with disgrace. For, the peop for people are not cast, cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to any human being. This is the word of the Lord. So as you've heard a couple times already, we are entering the Lent season, and a season in which we are going to be talking about creating space for God as our theme. And really, creating space for God is another way of saying practicing spiritual disciplines, because the purpose of spiritual disciplines, as Pastor Peter explained last week, is to create space for God. The purpose of spiritual disciplines is not to practice spiritual disciplines, but to use them and hope that through them somehow you have a connection or an experience of God speaking to you. And today we're starting with silence and solitude. Um, in the uh, introduction and, and um, in the things we wrote up, we mostly talked about silence, 
But just merely having silence is not the same as having the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude, because a number of people have already said to me, well, I'm sometimes home by myself all day, right? And so you probably experience a fair bit of silence in your life. The discipline actually includes not only stopping or being by yourself, but also pushing out all the different distractions, like the horns and all the different things that uh, Leah was listening to, right? Getting a space in a time where you experience nothing but the presence of God or whatever else that he sends into your heart and your mind along the way. So that's what we're going to be looking at, and we're going to be using, oh yeah, forgot this slide. Simple, but not easy. This was a title about two months ago, and people keep saying it, so I'm going to keep using it, because obviously it's stuck. Spiritual disciplines fit into this category. They're simple, but they're not easy. Explaining to you how to do a silent retreat is really easy. Don't talk. End of instructions. But you probably recognize simply not talking won't necessarily give you a spiritual discipline. It'll just give you some time where you're not talking, right? And so with each of these things, the explanation of this is how you do this discipline will be somewhat straightforward, but we are encouraging you to practice them, and you can do this in a bunch of different ways. You can either say, yeah, I know exactly which one I need to lean into, and you can do it for the entire time of Lent, or you can do what I'm planning on doing, which is every week I'm going to do a new spiritual discipline, right? So this week is silence and solitude. I'll tell you my plan at the end, because at the end I'm going to talk about how to make a plan. And then the book of Lamentations. I remember vividly being in high school, sitting in my church at that time, and hearing the pastor, who was probably about the age that I am now, say, I've never preached from Lamentations before, so I'm going to do a series on Lamentations. I remember that because it really struck me that you could be in ministry this long and not preach from particular books of the Bible, and now that I am this age, I realize there's actually a lot of passages I've never preached on. I'm going to make it through my whole career without having preached on every passage in the Bible, and that kind of struck me. And Lamentations is one of those places you don't go often because Lamentations means crying, and most people want to worship and praise and celebrate. We're not always that excited about going places that are about crying, and the book of Lamentations is a long cry. It's a long lament. Um, but we're going to land in the middle of it because lamentation starts in strong crying out in pain, ends in strong crying out in pain, and right in the middle in that classic chiastic form that I've told you about in other, past, in other messages, right dead center is those words, great is thy faithfulness, which gives us the hymn that is so dear to many of us, and that's the portion that we read today. So you're going into silence. And I need to warn you about what comes out when you're actually in silence and solitude. So I have done a number of um, eight-day silent retreats and a five-day silent retreat and a three-day silent retreat. I have a friend who's also done an eight-day silent retreat, and we have this little phrase in common. It was the most amazing experience of my life. I'll never do it again. Because what happens when you actually go into silence long enough that all of your distractions kind of fade away and, and you center yourself and you start to hear from Jesus is what happens here in these verses. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. So this is my way of selling you on doing a silent retreat. What happens when you go on a silent retreat is you're going to have a dark night of the soul somewhere along the way on one of the eight-day silent retreats that I did, and I, as I was remembering this, I realized 
I used a payphone, so that's how long ago this was. I used a payphone to call Ruthann. I was in about day six, and you're not really supposed to call anybody, but I was freaking out. So I called Ruthann, but the problem was I hadn't spoken to anyone for six days, and I was very emotional because it was very hard, and so I couldn't say anything. So she basically had you know, somebody breathing and crying on the other end of the phone, so I had prank called her, in essence. So I had to hang up, recollect myself, and call her again and explain what went on, and, and then carry on. So, now you all want to do silent retreat badly, right? I've really sold this thing. Let me get to the next slide. It might help us understand this. Why that's a good thing. When you've opened yourself to that which is actually hard and difficult and painful and very real in your life, when you've taken away all those things you depend on, because usually what we're doing, even if it's quiet around us, is we, we keep ourselves busy, right? So I might have a silent day at home, but my silent day at home, I'm, I'm checking off things off of my to-do list, right? I'm, I'm paying attention to this. Um, I'm keeping busy. I'm keeping active. All those things are distractions. A silence and solitude retreat is going off by yourself and trying to eliminate as many of those things as you possibly can. So the only thing you have left to depend on is God. Right? And so if you enter into a dark night of the soul, because it probably will happen, you've probably thought about this, boy, if I ever went for three, four days of silence in the retreat and sat by myself, I think I might freak out. And you might. But what you'd be running into is, what are the things that I've been depending on, or what are the things that I've been ignoring that are real in my life? What are the sorrows, the griefs that I haven't paid attention to? And as those things come out, and you're by yourself, you're going to run into verse 21 as it's on the screen Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. It's because of the Lord's great love that we are not consumed. And you know, as long as you are dependent on music around you and people around you and activity around you, it's hard to actually fully depend on the fact that it's only God's great love that keeps you standing and alive and moving forward. And when you do that, you have this beautiful, powerful moment, right? Because my retreat didn't end with the crying phone call to Ruthann, my retreat ended with a deep and powerful sense that God had me. He was going to carry me through. He was going to walk me through healing. He was going to bring me to that next stage of my journey with him. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. So in short, what I'm saying is, if you take away all the things that you depend on for a season— you have a better chance of experiencing your dependence and your need to hang on to God and to God alone. That is the purpose of this particular spiritual discipline. But you need to do it with some patience. It's a one day at a time kind of a thing. The passage says, they are new every morning, God's compassions. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. But I would suggest to you that if you do a silent retreat, um, one thing you will need is a Bible. That seems pretty straightforward in a Christian context, right? But not a Bible that you're going to try and see how much you can read for however many hours or days that you're away. One that has in it lines like, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. That should be enough for about one day. What does it mean to walk through your day with nothing more than whatever powerful line of Scripture that you have and let that sink in? And every time you're wondering... Am I going to make it? You say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. 
right? Scripture um, is very helpful sometimes if we just take small portions of it and allow them to soak into us, to wash over us, to guide us, um, yeah, and to go deep into our souls in that kind of way. It's a way of memorizing or internalizing that allows Scripture. Because this, and all spiritual disciplines, so I said I'm going to do each of these disciplines for one week while we're practicing them. I'm going to also say that's probably not the best way to do some of these things. So this is, a, this is a buffet. This is a taster. We're giving you an experience of all these different things. For most disciplines, you need to be a little more patient than that. You need to hang around in there for a while, right? Many of us try something for a few days and then say, yeah, that didn't work, and then move on. Most spiritual disciplines require that we offer ourselves with some sort of accountability probably to an ongoing patient process of hanging around in that space. Just because God didn't speak to you instantly the first time you gave him a bit of your time doesn't mean he doesn't want to find a way to speak deep into your heart and your life. You, already, you said that already, I know it. So this verse, that's my way of saying these verses repeat what we've already heard. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Bible's a reasonably repetitive book. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, especially poetry, because poetry is by nature repetitive. And I don't know about you, maybe some of you can identify with this as well. Um, if I got it the first time, I don't know why you have to say it to me again. Until I pause, start leaning into my patience, however much of that I might have, and realize just because I heard something and understood it doesn't mean that it's part of my life and that it's shaping my soul. There's all kinds of facts that I know from having gone to school and to seminary that though I know them and think, yeah, that's really true, they haven't landed deep inside of me, right? So this is how songs work and favorite songs. And whoever you think about this, everybody's favorite song is repetitive, at least on this level. It probably has a refrain. And if it's your favorite song, you sing it over and over and over again because it has spoken and has sunk into the depths of your soul and your life, right? And that's kind of how a silent retreat works as well. It's not about how many different things can you read or how many different things can you experience or how many different things can you think about. It's about waiting patiently for God and realizing there's a message he has for me that I might get right at the beginning, but even if I know that truth, that the Lord is my portion, for example, I need to hear it and sit in it and allow it to penetrate again and again and again into my heart. Right? There's things I've been working on in my life, which I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this for a year, then I'll have taken care of that, and then I realized, you know, that's, that's an ongoing journey. That waiting patiently for God is something I need to do again and again and again. And I guess I'm kind of speaking to the choir here, so to speak, because you understand that, because every Sunday we gather here right? And hopefully every Sunday I tell you something that many of you actually already know because it's part of Christian faith, right? And I'm not trying to say something that's not part of Christian faith. I'm trying to say something we already know, but we know if we don't walk in again and again, if we don't participate again and again, we will lose some of the beautiful things that God has in store for us. And Ruthann gave me a great illustration, so thank you, dear. Earlier in the service, she suggested that we kneel during that prayer, but she didn't do it in the way that I wanted her to, I'll just be blunt about that, which is, all right, everybody is now going to kneel. That would have been a different instruction than she gave us, right? Which was, you know, if you feel comfortable, then, you know, whatever posture, go ahead and kneel. 
I'm guessing, I didn't look, but I'm guessing less of you knelt because there wasn't a expectation or a pressure or a leadership or whatever you want to call that, right? And I just want to lean into that simply because for all of us to actually move forward in our walk with God requires that there's some discipline and some accountability person, some discipline holder, if you will, who helps us take those steps forward, right? Understand that reality, that unless you have an accountability system, unless you have a conversation, right, unless you are patient with yourself and have somebody else who's patient with you on that journey, that's part of it, right? These things don't move forward simply and all by themselves. It's another way of saying, just because you've heard what I've said and you agree with it doesn't mean it's already transforming your lives. We need to enter into these things, and so I highly encourage you to pick up whatever it is that we are offering you that fits for your life today. Jesus' yoke. So last week, Pastor Peter talked about um, Jesus saying, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The passage here says, it's good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. It's good for us to um, be under discipline while we're young. It's good to practice things early in life because they become habits for your later life. Most of us experience this, and the older you get, the more you see that. But I want to talk a minute about what that yoke means. Here it is. Recognize that it's actually okay to have challenging things in your life, right? Parents, do not take away all the challenges from your kids. Don't try to make life as easy as possible for them. They are going to learn through those challenges. We all do. But of course, it's always important to understand that's not just the truth, make it as hard as possible. It's what is the yoke? What is the burden, right? And Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, which means he actually has a yoke for you and he has a burden for you. He has something that he wants you to carry that you're probably going to need help carrying because the yoke is really all about that, that Jesus and you are both carrying something together. Creating space for God, entering into spiritual disciplines is about wondering, what is it that God has me carrying right now? And how is it that he's helping me carry that? That's why, again, doing this and probably all spiritual disciplines is going to take you to some of the tough stuff in your life, some of the stuff you might need to confess, some of the stuff you might need to grieve, some of the stuff you might need to cry about and hopefully move you to a place where you're also celebrating it, taking on the yoke of Christ with him. And the passage continues, verse 28, let him sit alone in silence for the Lord, for the Lord has laid it on him, right? It, it calls us to take that pause and, and sit in that space. More on that right here. Face, feel, sit in, process. Look at these lines. Let him bury his face in the dust. How many of you woke up this morning thinking, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go in the driveway and push my face into the gravel and the dust down there and have a good sniff, right? Not something we would do naturally. Next one, verse 30. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him. Right? So if you grew up in the church, you know the Matthew 5 piece where Jesus says if someone hits you on the right cheek, show them your left cheek as well. So you maybe heard these lines, but how many of us naturally are looking for somebody who doesn't like us and we want to enter into conversation so that they can strike us, whether with words or otherwise, right? It's just not a natural response. And let him be filled with disgrace. Who's thinking, man, i got to go find somewhere where I'm going to get disgraced today? So what is, the, what is the Lamentations author, Jeremiah, likely saying here? He's saying, if you are going to move through some of the tough stuff of your reality, you actually have to face it, right? When we lose somebody to death or divorce or in any other way, 
even when they move away. We have to grieve that. If we don't do that, then your pastor's going to come over and ask you questions that make you think about it and make you cry. Not because your pastor's mean, but because your pastor loves you and knows that unless you put your face in the dust, unless you let whatever is striking you hit you in the face, unless you feel the actual pain, you're not going to get to the other side where it's been dealt with, it's been understood, it's been processed, it's been prayed about, it's been confessed, and it's been healed. The reason we have confession as part of every single worship service that we do is we need to continue to be processing those things, right? We need to be continually dealing with those things. We need to actually feel them so that we can get to the other side. It's easy to understand. It's simple to understand, sorry. It's not easy to do. But it's for a season. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever, says Lamentations. Lent is a season. It's not too many people's favorite season. Kind of can't wait to get to Easter, and that's intentional. That's good, right? But there's a time, there's a season where we need to say, now I need to pause and go back down here, right? When we've lost somebody, right, we need to spend a season grieving before we move back on. We can't just pretend, well, that happened. It's not affecting me. I'm moving on. We have to go through the different feelings and seasons. And then we get to this big picture. Because though God brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Right? And this, this takes a bit of nuance. Because it works like this. We, by nature, do not want to sit in pain. Right? And good. You should not, by nature, want to sit in pain. Yet as I've said a couple of times already, we do need to sometimes face our pain and deal with that which is broken and difficult in in our lives. But recognize this. God, as he's dragging you into his presence and pulling you something that you need to face and sit in and understand and confess and heal and all those kinds of things, he's doing it because of his incredible love for you. He doesn't want you to go to that peace, but he does want you to get to the other side. And as we're in the season of Lent and we're moving towards Good Friday, on Good Friday, Jesus is going to show us that his Father, God, sent him to that place, the cross, where he had the ultimate painful experience of the presence of God. But it led to resurrection. Right? And everything we do follows this pattern. Everything about following Jesus has to do with going to those places where there is confession, where there's pain, where there's letting go, where there's death of the old, so that we can also get to the resurrection. There's no Easter without Good Friday. There's no resurrection without death first. There's no new life without putting off the old life. And spiritual disciplines are a call to say, dare to enter in. Seems counterintuitive. Why would I stick my face in the dust? But dare to enter in, because if you do those things, God promises you will also experience my compassions, which are new every single morning. Keep on practicing these kinds of things. So, let's get practical. How do we do this? First, plan a time and a place. It's really quite that simple, right? So this Friday... Feel free not to text me, call me, or email me. I won't be responding because I'll be on a silent retreat, right? Set aside a time that works for you to do this kind of a thing, right? And it's different. If you've never done something like this before, try a couple of hours this week. Find a few hours to do this kind of thing. And I always suggest this. If you think that maybe you could do two hours, do four. If you think maybe you could do one day, do two, right? Because you can actually do a whole lot more than you think you can, 
right? Um, so make a plan, and I'm saying challenge yourself with that plan. Second, try not to accomplish anything. This one's killer for me. I actually went to my spiritual director on my first silent retreat and asked if I was doing it right. She had no idea what to do with me. She says, are you talking? I said, no. And then she just sat there in silence. I don't know about you, but I'm wired to accomplish, so when I'm on a silent retreat, this is my, my biggest battle is I'm trying to come up with sermon illustrations while I'm walking around on my silent retreat so that I can tell you about my silent retreat. That's not a silent retreat, that's me working. That's my job, right? Some people, they'll take books along, right? Awesome, I got a silent retreat and I love reading, so I'm gonna get four books done on my, that's not a silent retreat, you're accomplishing something, right? Our ability to stop proving how important we are by what we accomplish and do, and just sit and let God be God, right? That's what this one's all about. So whatever time period you plan on and take, make sure you don't accomplish anything. And I know you're all the same cultural, most of you are the same cultural background as I am, so you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Third, take the time to pay attention to anything and everything it's all from God, right? So if you're a regular worship attender, which you likely are if you're in on this right now, you have very particular ways that you know you hear from God. You probably hear from God in worship services. That's why you're here. You have particular devotional patterns and all those kinds of things. But when you take a time of silence, and the only one you have to lean on is God, understand that everything you see, hear, feel, taste is from God. And so, I've heard from trees. I've experienced God in the meal. One that people often ask me about is, you know, I went, I spent some time in silence, and then I got tired, so I wanted to take a nap. But you were thinking, of course, I need to accomplish something, so I can't take a nap. If God tells you through your body to fall asleep, fall asleep. Just let God lead you and guide you. Right? So what I'm saying, these words, they're right, quite simple, right? And yet... You know, it's not easy. We will battle. You will struggle as you try these things. So on that note, as exciting as that sounds, to go into a dark night of the soul and to experience silence and all the challenges that it is, I highly encourage you, and I want to pray for you, that you will find a way to take a step a little past your regular comfort zone of allowing God to meet you in silence and solitude. Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, we trust that you want to meet us. We see from your life that you took time away to be with your Father. And we also recognize that you sweat blood in Gethsemane. You cried out, why have you forsaken me? You went through some tough parts. But Lord, may we hang on to that it ended in resurrection and it ended in life and it ended in an invitation to all of us to be a part of your family and your community. So we pray for that faith that will allow us to step out in faith, and trust your great faithfulness and your compassion that is new every morning, and that you will meet us when we create some space for you. This we pray in your holy name. Amen.